My name is Eugene Fernandez. I am the social media coordinator at Digifox, and today um, I'll be interviewing Nicholas Merton, the founder and CEO of Digifox, along with um, Datadash about mayors getting paid in crypto. Uh, this is something that has been in the news recently. Uh, Mayor Scott Conger of Jackson, Tennessee, Mayor Jane Castor of Tampa, Florida, along with Francis Suarez and um, Eric Adams. In, in New York have all been super positive, receptive towards crypto, and they've all decided to receive at least some or if not all of their paycheck in crypto. So super exciting. Um, and I'm happy to chat with uh, Nick about it and, and, and Nick's happy to share his views about it too. Um, so the way that this will work out is we will chat for half an hour and then in the second half of the hour uh, you guys can ask questions so write down any questions that you have and also make sure to share this twitter space so that other people can join um so yeah let's get started uh, so nick if my first question to you is why you think mayors are choosing to get paid in crypto that's a great question eugene i think overall it's not so much for uh, the potential to make like a self-monetary gain, which is, I think, a, honestly, something that a lot of people will consider when they hear about the concept of crypto, this ability to be able to hedge inflation and uh, really benefit themselves. I think that this is more of a message on a, a geographical and political level throughout the United States. And it's a showcasing of whether or not as a mayor or as a Congress official, uh, congressional official, or any level of government you can think about that has some kind of weight in policy decision-making, uh, whether or not they're going to be on the edge and the verge of this new technology, which we're seeing right now in crypto, or if they're going to stay in the past, take more of a passive approach to it, and remain skeptical of crypto. I mean, we're there's no really other way to put it, um, unfortunately, uh, for better or for worse, that there are a variety of different opinions on how crypto needs to be treated. And I think what we've seen with Mayor Suarez in Miami and Florida, as well as Eric Adams in New York, I think we're really starting to see a couple of mayors who want to maintain the dominance of innovation uh, across other jurisdictions. I think it's something I'll kind of hit on as we go throughout the entire conversation here. We're really seeing a, a competition of what I call geographical arbitrage. This is something that, that people have written about or talked about in certain capacities across countries, the ability to be a digital nomad and take your residency and your citizenship elsewhere in the world. Um, and it's, it's, a, you know, it's a bit of a controversial topic for sure, but in the sense of the United States, the one thing people forget is that the United States is built in a way where it's almost as if you have 50 unique countries uh, within one whole country. You certainly have the federal government, which has uh, the overweighting power um, over the state and local branches, but you have so much flexibility and power within the local and state level of government to be able to lead forward in building spaces for innovation, to stand out against your local counties, as well as other potential competitors or other states in this case. So uh, that's a big term I'm going to kind of build on as we go throughout the conversation. But again, think of it purely, uh, this trend is, is not so much just because they want to get paid in crypto, but it's supporting the next movement of innovation that we're going to see here over the next 10 years. And whatever county and state leads the way is going to see a lot of economic growth. Awesome. 
What do you think this says about the credibility and status of crypto in the United States? I think it says a lot, you know, to, to kind of put some context to it and a little bit of color on the history of like, where did like mayors start deciding to get paid in crypto? That's the question that I've gotten asked from a lot of people like, why is it all of a sudden now government officials want to get paid in crypto uh, when we've been hearing for years that they want to censor it? So this actually goes back to 2020. And this was a time where we were going through some pretty dramatic changes, what's generally referred to as structural readjustments. Uh, it was a world dealing with uh, its first pandemic in a century, um, dealing with immense amounts of federal policies, uh, changes to our everyday lives. And this generally uh, left a lot of companies, especially a new industry like crypto, which was pretty infant, new, uh, really fast paced in the way it was growing, looking for, I think, kind of a home in these crazy times, much like many people were moving around during the past year, year and a half. So this industry was trying to find an established base. And we got to the point here where, you know, traditional technology hubs or finance hubs where crypto kind of plays in both worlds. Uh, New York, for example, um, had been quite stingent on crypto. Uh, they've had the bit license issued on a local level in the city, uh, which basically makes uh, any New York based companies or people who want to service New York residents have to have a bit license. And outside of that for San Francisco, uh, between the cost of, of actually having uh, operations in San Francisco, uh, there's a statistic that I remember where companies, you know, let's say, for example, you raised a Series A round for your startup and you had $5 million for the raise. You know, generally speaking, uh, companies were spending about one-fifth to one-fourth of that on real estate to either host their offices or to pay the additional salary for their employees to cover living in those jurisdictions. So, you know, finding cheaper real estate, finding an environment on a local and state level that was more regulatorily supportive of crypto, that was a big issue with San Francisco as well as New York. And what we've seen is not only generally as more people move to the suburbs, this has opened up a variety of other cities, uh, places like Austin and Houston, Texas, uh, Miami and Florida, a lot of people have been making the geographical move to various different regions. And this is kind of sprung up um, not only due to what's happened, uh, obviously due to COVID, but the secondary element was that you had a bunch of mayors who saw this trend happening. They saw that it was serious and they saw along with that as well, the potential behind cryptocurrency. They, they are highly interconnected in my opinion. I, I don't think it's um, just purely two separate trends. What you saw with Mayor Suarez, um, was a lot of people on social media who worked in the crypto space talking about taking traditional technology innovation in various sectors, but particularly uh, particularly in crypto uh, towards other various regions across the world. There's actually a tweet from a, a general partner, a guy named uh, Delian in this case, who works at a general, uh, he's a general partner or principal uh, member of Founders Fund. It's a Silicon Valley uh, based fund or San Francisco based fund that has Peter Thiel, you know, very high level VCs, founders and investors on board. And he had put out a tweet on Twitter uh, where he was basically saying, okay guys, hear me out. What if we move Silicon Valley to Miami, right? And this was just meant to be a joking tweet. And whereas uh, at the time there was a lot of these people talking about making the move and making a shift, uh, whereas a lot of people were saying like, good, go out of our city. We don't want you, we don't need you. Uh, there was mayors like Suarez who had everything uh, to benefit and nothing to lose by reaching out and asking a simple question. And this is literally what he tweeted. He said, how can I help? 
And that's the kind of attitude, I think, that is going to help Miami and also Eric Adams in New York make the necessary shifts, whether they are a jurisdiction that has dominant technology or finance development and or wants to become in that position, right? No matter what side of the table they're on, uh, that's the kind of attitude that started to lead these dramatic shifts. And I think it's also as well why people like Mayor Suarez and Eric Adams, they're also willing to stick it, you know, just as hard in this case by basically saying we're going to be accepting a portion of our salaries in crypto. We want to showcase people who are building in these sectors that we're not close-minded to it. I think the moment a mayor is able to actually start receiving a portion of their pay in crypto, it sends signals to founders, and I can say that on behalf of myself and many others, that wow, this is actually a jurisdiction. I'd want to have an office. I'd want to bring economic growth and uh, general value to the region because I know that the talent's going to be flocking there and that it's an open jurisdiction that's going to build the, the right regulatory framework for that innovation to foster without suppressing it. So back to your question, uh, Eugene, which is I, I know a little bit off of, of where I rambled, rambled on about, which was, you know, what does this do for the state of crypto? I think this is really the final, uh, although I bet there are many other states that I can't think of, and I don't mean to be too dramatic. I do believe that this is one of the final missing pieces in crypto, and it's why we have a big focus on getting paid in crypto and offering that to people in Digifox, is because of the simple reality that, look, like we've seen crypto being traded. Um, it's been able to establish itself as a multi-trillion dollar market. Bitcoin's an over trillion dollar asset now. We've already seen a market established around these currencies. Now it's time to consider really in a serious manner starting to get paid in a portion of these currencies as part of our salary. And that's something, again, we've, we've been kind of thinking about behind the scenes for a long time with our partners and wanting to make a reality for people. And I think, you know, Mayor Suarez and all those people who are getting on board with the trend, it's a sign of the times that this is going to happen. Um, central banks are, are likely not going back from printing enormous amounts of money. Um, and outside that as well, uh, you know, consideringly, uh, can keeping interest rates considerably low, near 0%, as close as they possibly can, maybe even fathoming negative interest rates, where having, you know, the $9.5 trillion in deposits that U.S. citizens have right now and the bank account earning nothing, I mean, this is, this is an absolutely national tragedy and issue that's going to have to be dealt with in some way. So I think that, again, mayors are leading forward that charge and, and starting to showcase people the idea of, hey, you know, it's not that crazy to get a portion of your salary in this, this new expanding asset. Um, I'll say it this way. Um, I think it speaks as well to the, the state of the economy and the inflation that we're seeing. I, I've seen a couple articles trying to, to claim that there was, I think, a big one that made the rounds today on crypto Twitter that inflation is actually good for you. And uh, to be completely honest, the last 50 years have been completely contrarian to that. Uh, we've seen, uh, you know, in the United States that the wealth gap grow tremendously large due to this inflation. So the only way that everyday people can really hedge that is by being in assets, which inevitably adjust to inflation, so long as they're sound assets that have solid demand. So. Um, anyways, I know a loaded answer, but I think it tells us a lot about, you know, the the geographical changes in the U.S. And it also tells us about the times of the economy and where we're at right now. It's not so much just about um, liking crypto or thinking that they can make a quick buck off of it. It's more about the message. Gotcha. So if we go along from, from what I heard, it sounds like you think that this is done in large part to help attract capital and talent to cities um, so mayors are 
saying that they'll get paid in crypto so that they can attract capital and talent. But do you think that that would work out even for smaller cities like um, Tampa and Jackson compared to bigger cities like Miami and New York? I mean, absolutely. I think that um, it's really what we're seeing is something that hasn't happened in the U.S. Um, for a very long time, which is new industries being created. And then outside of that as well, all of these local and state bodies trying to win a piece of that market share. And that's a really cool thing. That's honestly one of the beauties, um, not just of the U.S., but many other countries across the world um, that are constantly competing to bring innovation into the region. Um, and it's productive innovation. It's productive innovation in the sense that it's building new technologies that will transform the way we think about money, we think about payments, managing capital, um, and a lot of really big inefficiencies remain in finance. So I think that there's still so much room, and it, it's not a winner-take-all kind of scenario. There will be some highlighted winners, but if you, as you were mentioning, Gene, like about like Tampa, of um, for example. Uh, like, you know, even established cities like New York City. I think this is this is kind of telling here um, when when established cities like New York City, not like Miami, which isn't really known for finance or tech innovation. When you see both new jurisdictions like Miami competing for this, as well as the large players like New York City, I think that's a really telling sign that there's a lot of market share here and people are going to try on a, on a governmental level in order to be successful politicians and grow their districts and their economies, they're going to compete tooth and nail to be able to get as much market share as possible. But I don't think it'll be a winner-take-all scenario. Gotcha. Let's go into New York City and Eric Adams, because that's really interesting. He seems to be extremely receptive to cryptocurrencies and blockchains. Like he said that crypto should be taught in school. He's going to create New York's very own digital coin called the NYC coin. He's going to receive his first three paychecks in Bitcoin and he plans to turn New York into a cryptocurrency hub. But, you know, New York is a state where uh, you have to have a license to, uh, I think, buy and sell crypto or to engage in crypto at all. So do you think that Eric Adams is just talk or do you think he'll have lots of success actually trying to bring in um, updates to regulation that are that that's stifling the development of the cryptocurrency industry in New York? Yeah, I, I'll make a joke at the start. And this is with all due respect to Eric Adams, but I've heard he's only getting three paychecks in the form of Bitcoin. And all the while, even though at Digifox we're focused on getting like maybe, you know, 10, 20 percent, maybe 30 percent or more of your paycheck in crypto. I will say I, I want to hear him bump up those numbers to know he's really he's worth his salt on the statement. <laughs> but no, I mean. You know, in all seriousness, Eric Adams, I think, is is a phenomenal candidate in the sense of purely like servicing crypto needs. To be fair, I can't speak on like the the broader political ramifications of him as mayor. Same with Mayor Suarez. Uh, I don't know enough about their backgrounds there, but I do know about what they've tried to do for the crypto space. And look at you know, there's a lot of things you mentioned there, like receiving his paycheck in crypto. That's one thing I think is that, that that's very interesting to see that'll help to normalize that trend, and that's a big benefit. Uh, just serving as a leader, uh, the New York City coin. I know that there's also, uh, you know, Mayor Suarez is trying to do the Miami coin. I'm a little bit more skeptical of city-based coins. It's a very new concept, and I'm I'm interested to see more about how they're going to roll that out and how what kind of dynamics it plays into. Like, what can it be used for? Is it purely just a currency like Bitcoin? Um, this has all been stemming out of um, 
it's my understanding, uh, through the uh, Stacks platform, which is like a, a DeFi layer for Bitcoin, which I followed for a while. Out of all three things that you mentioned there, Eugene, the biggest one to me is, is the topic around the bit license. Um, this has been something that, in, in my opinion, uh, not, a, not coming from a legal expert by any means, but has suppressed a lot of innovation. And what has been known for the last century is the hub of innovation for finance in the West, especially in the U.S. I mean, New York City, the Big Apple, is where the, the vast majority of financial innovation happens. You've got Wall Street. You've got a ton of wealth in the city that circulates the financial system. Um, and it's, it's really unfortunate to see New York City for so many years falling behind in this technology and more than anything suppressing it. Um, and I think that they, they thought they could have a stranglehold in the crypto space uh, more than they were actually able to hold on to. And it's now gotten to the point where the leadership, it's gotten so bad that the leadership actually as a major standing point of its campaign on a mayor-based election, right, actually had to be around an innovative, still relatively new industry like crypto. So I think that speaks volumes about the bit license and the regulatory framework that New York's had because it's censored a lot of uh, opportunities. I'll, I'll give just one example here that's relevant for Digifox users. To my understanding, on a legal basis, the reason we can't service um, New York users through our Celsius integration is because of the restriction of bit licenses. Now you can have a self-custodial wallet in this case. There's no way to stop that, right? Self-custodial wallets are not really prone to any geographic region. They're 12 to 24 words. But if you're utilizing a custodial-based platform like Celsius, on the other hand, that changes the game. And if you're in New York City, even though Celsius uh, technically can service it themselves now, they, they have a, a, a kind of exemption or a way to get around it. Um, in the sense of Digifox, we can't service New York residents because of this restriction. And we can do everything by the books. We can follow KYC or Know Your Customer. We can follow AML or Anti-Money Laundering Practices. You can do so many things to be a compliant company and do things for the better interest of users, especially in a time where we know there's such hectic inflation. Unfortunately, these kind of restrictions and regulatory practices have restricted so many startups from servicing a multi-million uh, population city that's known for financial innovation and open to this innovation. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, it, it's not the end of the world, but getting rid of the bit license and at least maybe uh, reworking it with a new piece of legislation and a new framework for innovation is going to likely solidify. Um, like, I can't, can't like, um, talk about it enough. If, if they actually get through on fixing this, it's going to help solidify New York's uh, market share of the crypto space because they already have all the capital and the innovative capabilities there and the talent. They've just got to make it happen um, and they've got to compete faster than the remote uh, remote world and all these new jurisdictions. One last question about New York. Why do you think it was that they brought in the bit license in the first place? You know, I, I think we could always debate about for hours. I don't know enough about the the backgrounds of of who really pushed for the bit license. It's you never really get to know who's really pushing for for laws and regulations. But I will say this: um, the kind of restrictiveness of the bit license and the the cost and time that goes into getting a bit license, I think, speaks volumes that whether it was a crypto based company uh, like well established player or like traditional banks and financial institutions that they were trying to censor competition um, and they were trying to censor the growth of crypto. And, and as you guys will know, if, if you've happened to like listen to the Twitter spaces here or you follow me on YouTube, 
I'm not one to try to make like blanket statements or conspiracies, but I think that this is, uh, it was really like, I mean, if this was just purely good intention, um, I think it would be a fine example of good intentions still leading to bad results, right? You can walk in with good intentions, wanting to make sure that you're letting a, an industry foster properly, but you can end up crushing it in the end if you don't spend the time to understand it, hear from the ecosystem. And this is why like Hester Pierce from the SEC, for example, aka Crypto Mom, she's been a really positive influence. I got to meet her myself at Consensus in New York, one of the largest crypto conferences. And speaking of that, uh, Consensus has now moved from New York. Uh, they've been there for multiple years. They've now moved down to, uh, I think, down to Texas now. So I think that's, a, again, a sign of the times that New York has really started to miss out on this trend. But um, I digress on the, the story about Hester Pierce. You know, there are some regulators out there who want to have a safe harbor policy. They want to give window of time for these new companies or new projects to innovate and be able to make mistakes. Because if you don't let them innovate, right, and open up to the idea, okay, there's going to be some mistakes here and there, uh, then you won't be the sector, um, sorry, the jurisdiction that services the innovation of the sector and likely would, uh, would not be able to bring in all the jobs, the economic growth, uh, the increase to GDP that you'd want to see, right? So again, uh, and then as time progresses, you learn about how to uh, establish those policies that can uh, keep you keep you from making the same mistakes again, right? So um, yeah, I, I think it's a. Uh, I, I think that there was I think there was bad intentions with the bit license to be completely candid. Um, outside of that, it was maybe good intentions that uh, ended up with bad results. Gotcha. Let's move to Francis Suarez, who is an absolute trailblazer. You mentioned earlier that you know he responded to someone with "How can we help?" and that is an attitude that's completely different from the way, for example, that Elon Musk was treated when. Um, he was asking for help. Um, someone told him to F off from California. Um, what do you think that Francis Suarez has been doing that sets him apart from other mayors? How is he acting? What what makes him special? Yeah, you know, I know this is just purely a compliment at the start. I think he's a very likable person. Um, you know, like I, my understanding is that he has a Cuban descendancy. He has, a, a, like a lot of people in Miami, a really interesting, I think, uh, story that's rooted in the values of the U.S. So putting uh, outside of that, that's more the personal viewpoint. I think he's, he's, he's really nice in that regard and has a really great story to tell. Um, the thing about him with Miami out of all the jurisdictions, and you were mentioning, Eugene, very uh, very well, that there's, you know, there's established jurisdictions uh, like New York City that just elected Eric Adams uh, as their new mayor. But there's also a lot of new places that are, you know, oh, we're, we're starting as a mayor or as a congressional member, I'm receiving a portion of my salary in crypto, or um, we're going to explore uh, different pieces of legislation for crypto, yada, yada. A lot of it, to me, comes across as talk, where Suarez has been really at the forefront of this entire movement. Um, he leapt on it faster than anyone else. And outside of that, he has been doing everything in his power. And he's, he's stated this since he's really honest mayor and started to see these changes is a big emphasis on you know transportation uh, like really reworking Miami's transportation sector I felt that when I was down there in, <laughs> in Miami visiting uh, for Bitcoin Miami like this uh, over the past couple months and outside of that he is open heavily open to really starting to dominate some of these new sectors and bringing talent to Miami and uh, the way that proves this is you can see it in the property values. You can see it in the companies that are moving there, uh, that are setting up operations and shop there. 
I mean, Miami is really becoming the place to be. Florida as a state is growing a lot of dominance in a lot of ways, but Miami, when it comes to crypto, has just started to become an absolute hub. If you, if you, it's so much to the point now where if you were to mention, like, what's the place to register a crypto company in the U.S., I'll be honest, I couldn't tell you anywhere other than Miami. Um, and then outside of that, you know, no matter where you register it, you know, just having remote operations, I think, works quite well for crypto. We do that here at Digifox. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, I think Miami is the place to be. If you need an office and you're looking to bring great talent together in a room together to, to build great things, I mean, Miami is the spot. Uh, outside of that, you've got a couple other hubs in the U.S. where you can find great talent, but not as much crypto-minded people. Um, with the uh, the move forward. So I think that's what sets him apart. It, he's all in on this idea of crypto. And that'll either be phenomenally good in the long term, it'll pay off for him really well. But if crypto were to go south, it would be a big failure, I think, in that case. But there's nothing wrong, in my opinion, I think, with failure and trying new things. I, I at least love seeing him go so far. And again, following that principle of how can I help at the end of the day. Gotcha. You know, crypto a couple of years ago, was something that very few people knew about, very few people understood, and it was kind of mocked by many. Now I think it's starting, uh, people are starting to take it a bit more seriously with Bitcoin's price continuing to rise and more DeFi applications coming out. Um, how do you think Francis Suarez has helped the reputation of crypto? I think the biggest thing um, that Suarez did is it's actually not just the sheer fact that he's going to be receiving a portion of his paying crypto or more specifically in Bitcoin. I think it's back to this point here where he solidified that like, look, if, if the world hasn't woken up to it, I'm not waiting for them, that crypto is going to be the next tech sector. Like this is the opportunity to build another Silicon Valley. If, if we think about all the social media, cloud storage, AI, you name dozens of innovative industries uh, in the valley that probably to get together combined generate hundreds of billions of dollars of revenue every year, if not more. You know, Silicon Valley is a gem in the United States. It's a big reason why California's GDP is as high as it is, uh, even though it has a larger population. And a lot of it is because of the tech innovation there and the companies that employ a lot of people. Uh, the problem. And most people didn't see is they, they've been laughing and mocking at crypto is exactly as you said, Eugene. And now you see someone like Suarez who, like, you know, like any other new trend, there's going to be people who find it first and they see it and they don't laugh at it and they don't mock it. And they go, hey, how can I help? Can I, can, can I have some conversation? Can I learn with you? And this is actually another thing that that sets Suarez apart is that he was not only the first mayor to, to really kind of take on the crypto industry. He would have sit down conversations with actual business owners and he would sit down with some of these new innovative startups in the crypto sector, ask them what they needed, what kind of environment they needed in order to do this innovation, and uh, what would attract them to that jurisdiction. And I think he really started to, um, in, in almost a real handshaking way, be like, hey, I'm here for you, you know, as a mayor. So I know I'm being a little bit, um, maybe in, in a sense, like, kind of like personal and touching in this case, like in the sense of like how he differs than most mayors. But I think he really showed the world stage especially the united states that it's time to take this serious you know like you can think crypto is still speculative you can criticize it for its flaws there are many in crypto but it is an emerging asset class and bitcoin ethereum litecoin a lot of the major established cryptos they can't be ignored anymore 
Um, so yeah, I think more than anything, he he not just got paid in crypto, and he didn't just explore creating his own city coin or city cryptocurrency, the Miami coin. What he really did is he solidified the foundation for where this innovation is going to happen, and is showcasing that the next Silicon Valley it likely isn't going to be in New York City or in San Francisco. And I say that I used to work in the Valley. I'm, I'm originally from Virginia, but I uh, I spent some time in the Valley, worked like a couple blocks down from where Steve Jobs used to live in the suburbs of Palo Alto. And it's, uh, it's a beautiful region of the world. And, and, and there's so many great people and great minds there. Unfortunately, government policy is going to be the dictator of where this innovation is going to flow. Uh, the capital will follow afterwards as well as the talent. So wherever the opportunity is, uh, that's what's most important. Gotcha. One last question. You mentioned that, uh, you know, Mayor Scott Conger of Jackson and Mayor Jane Castor of Tampa, one thing that they gain is showing that they are also a crypto-friendly place f- to attract talent and capital. Do you think that there are any other benefits f- to them for accepting their paychecks in crypto? Yeah, I think the um, the biggest one outside of the PR that they get from it and the benefit of new businesses coming and talent uh, coming in maybe to work on not only a private sector basis in companies, but maybe in the, in the public sector to help them with any crypto-based initiatives or blockchain initiatives. I think the biggest benefit is actually the real like appreciation and value. Uh, you know, this is the really incredible thing, guys. We're, we're at a point here where crypto at the moment is around, I think we're a little bit under a $3 trillion industry as a whole and, and market cap. Bitcoin is over a trillion dollars and market cap around $1.2 trillion. And that those numbers can scare people, especially if they look at Bitcoin's price and they say, oh my God, Bitcoin's one Bitcoin is already worth you know, $65,000, $68,000. Why would I even buy crypto? It's too expensive, right? Well, you have to think about things in valuation terms and those you know market cap terms we talked about. And crypto being at around a $3 trillion market cap at the moment, I think it's important to compare it to other industries. And you'll see that with global equities, so the stock market uh, alone are about $120 trillion in value. You've got uh, the global bond market, which is about the same amount, around $100 to $120 billion in global debt issued by the government. So you take crypto... Uh, and even compared to just gold as a whole, like gold, silver, and other precious metals, you're talking about $13, $14 trillion in value. The question I always ask people is, what sector do you think is the most likelihood to double, triple, or 10x in the next couple of years? And I think the simple answer here is crypto. Uh, I don't think there's any way we could, uh, we could really debate it. You know, with the proven track record of crypto's performance, and even though it has these massive corrections, they're followed by massive rallies that usually set each and every time new all-time highs. So I would say to you, to your question, it's a bit of a loaded response, but I think that the mayors actually receiving a part of their pay in crypto is going to showcase like, man, we've got some actual major public officials who are doing really well. Um, you know, that's a, a hopefully one thing. It'll hopefully lead to less corruption because uh, politicians will find a, a new means to make more money than just their core salary. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's that's a hopeful positive change that could come out of it as well. Gotcha. Okay, thank you very much, Nick. Uh, I appreciate you answering our questions. Um, we're going to move into the question and answer period time now. Uh, I'll start out by asking Francis what his thoughts are. But before I do that, I just want to let everyone else know that we're going to end this in 
10-15 minutes from now. So if you have a question, uh, please request uh, the microphone. It should be in the bottom left hand side of your screen. And uh, we will we'll write down the order in which people have asked for the mic and then we'll, I'll ask you to speak and then you can ask your question and then please re-mute yourself after you have asked your question uh, and we'll go from there. So Francis, uh, what thoughts and questions did you have? Yeah, thanks, Eugene. That's a really great conversation. Um, one thought that I've had, I'm not sure if it was a question or a thought, but um, it's very interesting in the history of uh, uh, currencies in the United States, not just cryptocurrencies, but like if you go back to the 1800s, I, I live in New England and, you know, uh, very interested in history, but it used to be that cities and towns and, and, and states would make their own currencies, right? And so one of the things that we're talking about here is that the mayor, besides getting paid in crypto, has at least floated the idea of New York City issuing its own cryptocurrency. And I think this could be sort of a part of a snowball effect that not only will municipalities and states be able to issue their own cryptocurrencies, but maybe even like gold-based real currencies as well. And New Hampshire has taken some steps in, in that direction with the gold back, uh, which I, I just think is really fascinating. And it's sort of how things used to be done in the United States going back to the 1800s, where there wasn't this sort of monopoly with the federal dollar that the states and the municipalities were, were allowed to, to issue their own currency in a, in a certain sense. You know, that meant more freedom and just more kind of local autonomy. And I always think democracy always works much better the more that you have local uh, people engaged rather than just it all being centralized. So I just I thought that was an interesting side effect that it it could sort of open the legal door of, of not only having cities issue their own cryptocurrencies, but just currencies in general. That's just one thought that, that popped into my head on this. That's a really good point, Francis. I, I completely, you know, I never really correlation that these city, um, city-based coins that some of the mayors are touting, if they really start to charter on like the traditional state-based currencies uh, in the United States, that's the interesting thing that a lot of people don't know. Before you had the greenback, like the standard U.S. dollar, you know, you, I, for example, if I was doing business with, with you, Francis, like I might have to exchange uh, the Virginia dollar or <laughs> exactly. the Florida-based dollar with the uh, with the yeah. <laughs> yeah, some, some shillings from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts with the Virginia dollar. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So that's it's a very interesting perspective to see that. And that that makes me think a, a little bit more on a serious note. I want to kind of take back my words earlier about being kind of so cynical about it because. Um, you know, being able to have competitive currencies, I think, is it's something that's debated about a lot in economics and, and like and, you know, a lot of different uh, topics and stuff like people have debated this with the uh, EU and, and the Eurozone with the euro. Um, you know, there's the idea of complementary currencies where you could have, an, uh, you know, a, a bonding currency in this case between all jurisdictions that people would use for uh, inner inner commerce between jurisdictions. But you would still have the Italian lira. You would have um you know, this, the standard currencies for Germany, various countries. But yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting point. So maybe maybe we shouldn't be so closed off to the idea about the, uh, the city coins. I think it's a cool idea. Yeah, awesome. Perfect. Thanks so much, Francis. Uh, Mackenzie, Mackenzie Reed, you, you, you have the floor. Hey, everyone. Thanks for uh, bringing me up here. My question is, um, what do you think this means for, for smaller cities? You know, we've talked about New York, uh, cities in the Bay Area, stuff like that. But I see this as an opportunity if you're a mayor that's trying to put your city on the map that you you come out immediately and say, we're going to start doing this. We want to be a Web 3.0 city um, and we want to bring investment to our city. So I'm going to be doing this. What do you think it's going to you know, I know it's not as easy as that, but what do you think of that prospect and what it would take to have a small town, you know, that then becomes a crypto mecca? 
Yeah, I, I'm fully on board with you, Kenzie, like in the idea that this is going to benefit local areas. Like, well, first off, we've got like, I, I like to view things on a macro level. So we know right now, and this trend is still continuing because the housing market is absolutely like on fire right now, not just in the big cities like Miami, um, but in, in a lot of really at the end of the day, a lot of the suburbs. So as more people are working remote, more people are moving towards uh, suburbs and, and cheaper areas to live that are generally more open and you can buy more space for a square a cost per uh, square foot. I think that that has already pushed the trend for a lot of these uh, local governments to start leaving their presence. And I think it's, um, you know, it's partially not only going to be about the innovative hubs where these companies are based, because I think, again, the future is kind of like a hybrid work uh, in the office slash remote. And it's going to be more about uh, talent, like companies trying to attract that talent. So for those who are working on a remote basis, it's about building like the environment for them to be able to prosper in those cities, having favorable laws and and um, standards for crypto within those jurisdictions and offering complementary services, I think, to people who are own own crypto or invest in crypto. So, yeah, man, I'm, I honestly I think to be completely like humble. I don't know if we know what it's going to look like yet, but I think there is going to be a lot of local level governments that are going to benefit from this this major new transformation uh, throughout the U.S. Great. Thanks for your input. Thanks for requesting uh, uh, speaking privileges, Mackenzie. Uh, just for everyone else who might have just tuned in, if you have a question for Nick, definitely hit the bottom left button on your screen to get speaking privileges. Hope will give you that permission. So just uh, mute yourself after you have that, and then we will um, we'll go through the order in which people have requested that, and then you can ask your question then. Uh, Sandeep, you have the floor. Hey, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I'd like to ask uh, uh, what, what uh, uh, because uh, Metaverse is uh, right now, there's a lot of talk about Metaverse. So in that perspective, how you see uh, the cu current uh, topic? So that is what uh, I was about to ask. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's a good tell you. We did a, we did a space uh, last week about the Metaverse and, and talked pretty deeply about the trends for it. So I was just going to point, if, if you wanted to check that out, we did, um, we've got it uploaded on Anchor, our last uh, space on the metaverse. But I, you know, it's interesting. What I haven't thought too much about is what jurisdiction is going to start to have major dominance of the metaverse space um, and like, you know, servicing development in those sectors. I would say, you know, Miami is probably the biggest right now because it's been servicing as an overall crypto hub. And they're, they're trying to service various other sectors outside of just, you know, crypto as money. So I would say that Miami is probably a good hub for that. But the, the general bottom line for those who may have missed the previous webinar uh, or the previous uh, Twitter spaces we had, I think that the metaverse right now uh, could be very well in its infancy. And we're going to see some major innovation in the next year or so. But I think the real metaverse that we talk about, like the Ready Player One style metaverse where we're completely plugged into a virtual world and spend more than half of our lives in this world versus the real world. I think that that's about a decade or so away, uh, if not potentially up to 20 years uh, due to the restrictions of hardware uh, for virtual reality. So, um, yeah, I think that it's going to be a progressive uh, uh, move towards it, but I think it's going to impact our lives as much as uh, smartphones have if and when uh, we get to that point where we can build the hardware for it. Thank you so much, Nick.
Awesome. No, thank you, Sam. I appreciate the question. And Sam goes back to Kinsey as well. Kinsey. So, I, uh, Sandeep, I also wanted to say that we released the recording of the, the um, Twitter space we had last week on the Metaverse. It's on Spotify right now. So if you type in Digifox Spaces with Nicholas Merton, you'll be able to listen to uh, what Nick spoke about last week. So if you're interested in the Metaverse, you can definitely listen to that there. Thanks for your question, though. Thank you so much. I'll uh, do that. For our next speaker, we have Kevin. Kevin, you have the floor. Hey, Nick. Uh, nice to meet you. Um, quick question. Uh, if mayors do get paid in, in credit, how much effect, uh, like, for example, if, if mayors get paid in Bitcoin or Ethereum or, you know, Dogecoin, uh, how much would it affect that specific coin itself and the crypto and, like, mass adoption if a mayor decides to go with a meme coin other than a, a like a Bitcoin or Ethereum? Uh, that's a good question, Kevin. So like in the sense of like price impact um, with the salaries that mayors and government officials will make, it look like if you do it, for example, for Bitcoin, it wouldn't leave a mark on the map. Uh, I would say more than anything, maybe when Suarez first uh, announced he would take crypto as part of pay, the news alone and maybe the, the trust confidence of it might have you know positively impacted price um but in the sense of like the day-to-day -day, like your your mayor of a certain county receiving a portion of their paying crypto just like how if i was to receive my portion of paying crypto or anyone here in the call was uh, receiving it unless you're like really a high high net worth individual which even a lot of these mayors really aren't um at the end of the day it's not going to impact the price much now on the point you brought kim which is like if they were to create like, you know, let's say uh, Mayor Suarez was to Christ coin and there's uh, <laughs> not money uh, like liquid markets for it. There's not much trading volume um, or about uh, like liquidity to actually trade for these uh, cryptocurrencies, then it would highly probably impact the price. But that's an important thing to understand, which is that, you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, albeit they still make really great returns. They're highly liquid markets, and it's a fancy term for basically whether you've got a hundred bucks or like a million bucks, you can buy or sell Bitcoin roughly around the same price that it's at right now. So I think that um, as we get more people getting paid in crypto, I'm not so much interested in uh, whether or not uh, what the impact will be of the mayor or government officials who receive their pay in crypto. But let's say, for example, in a hypothetical scenario, as we grow at Digifox, if we get a million people earning their pay in crypto, that's going to really remove a lot of the volatility from crypto. So if you think about like the, the corrections that we get someone selling, you know, $500 million of Bitcoin, that's going to have an impact on price if they just go to the exchanges and sell it. Um, whereas during the time period, um, there's more people who are passively investing in crypto and getting a portion of their salary in crypto. And that's going to not only uh, help crypto grow in general, but it's also going to soften the blow from corrections and reduce a lot of the scary volatility that people are afraid of in crypto. So um, that's just one of my thoughts on that. But hopefully that answers your question. That was a good one. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Awesome. That, will, that was really uh, a really good question, Kevin. Thank you. Um, the last, it looks like we have time for one more question. Z, uh, you have the floor. Hey guys, my question was kind of related to um, inflation with um, Bitcoin and seeing that, you know, inflation levels were higher than most people expected. Um, my thought would be that people, Bitcoin, at least those kind of in the crypto space, 
would push towards Bitcoin more because of the inflation on the dollar and everything like that. And we didn't really see much of an uptrend or an uptick based on those numbers. And I was wondering if you thought, or if that's like more correlated or less correlated than I thought it was initially. That's a great question, Z. You know, Eugene and I have actually talked a lot about this before. And this is like, you know, for example, like, um, you know, th- think back to when like the Federal Reserve, for example, printed uh, its for, uh, fourth round of quantitative easing, you know, the biggest one. The thing that uh, I heard from a lot of people, they'd ask me like, Nick, you know, like, we just literally diluted the monetary supply by 25%, right? Like we just printed 25% of the existing supply in new cash and money. How did Bitcoin not go up 25% or more, right? And it's, it's a fair question because you would effectively think if markets are directly efficient as they should be, then it would reflect it. Unfortunately, the reality is, and I always try to stress this, uh, for better or for worse, that markets aren't efficient. Uh, this is a, a big stance I hold personally. Now, without rambling too long on it, uh, the biggest reason why it's when you saw these inflation numbers come out, that Bitcoin doesn't absolutely skyrocket. It did actually uptick a little bit. We did see a nice little bump up in price when the inflation news came out. Uh, the reason it doesn't happen immediately is because if you think about it on like a really macro perspective, um, traders and investors who are managing you know, the billions of dollars of capital or investments that w- might rotate into crypto and really drive the next rally in price, they can't make these moves right away. Uh, the liquidity isn't there. And outside of that, they really have to sit down as a team, as a fund or you know, no, whatever kind of governing body it is over this capital. And you think, okay, how do we get into crypto? What's our strategy for it? Uh, how do we want to average it? What's our percentage allocation that we want to crypto? Um, and uh, even for established assets like Bitcoin, it will take time for them to know, okay, what vehicle are we going to go into? Like, are we going to buy a Bitcoin ETF? Or are we going to try to buy uh, Bitcoin through uh, a professional enterprise account through Coinbase? Or are we going to start, you know, getting paid in crypto through Digifox, right? It's, it's a ton of questions uh, that I have to ask. Whereas like you and I, for example, if I want to start getting paid in crypto or I want to go out and buy some crypto right now, uh, we can just go do it. Like we can set up an account, you know, do KYC. We we act like it's a burden. You know, we complain a lot in crypto about it, but really, we've got it pretty simple compared to the institutions because they've got not only the onboarding process, which can take weeks or months in some cases, uh, depending on their jurisdiction and what company they're working with, but outside of that as well, uh, they've got to worry about the liquidity. You know, they got to think about if I've got a hundred million dollars. Is it best for me to just buy Bitcoin right now or do I average in over time? So, uh, yeah, it's a great question on that point, Z. I think it's it's a very fair one. Um, but I always try to explain that, that markets, whether we like to admit it or not, they are not efficient. And they take time to reflect reality. And another example, I, I would say, just to close this off, is the stock market, right? Fed printed 25% of the new monetary supply. It took, if you actually, uh, and Eugene did a great post on this, if you divide um, the S&P 500 by the monetary supply, we've just now gotten back to the original value we had uh, uh, pre before the pandemic. So it took us almost uh, you know, a year, year and a half to get the stock market back to where it was in fundamental value after the monetary supply increase. So hopefully that, uh, hopefully that adds some value. But there's some good stuff on our Twitter page that uh, covers that topic, some really cool charts. Awesome. Yeah, I didn't really think about the, uh, the sense of, you know, how long it takes them to kind of move assets around and things like that. So it's a good insight. Thank you. Of course, man. Yeah, absolutely. No, great question. Really great question. Z, that was a good question. I also wanted to add, 
if you go to inflationchart.com, you can get to uh, play with uh, the different variables there to see what the actual value of the money supply is, whether going up or not, and whether the S&P 500 is increasing in value or not. So it's a cool website to check out. Um, Nick, do you have time for one more question? Yeah, for sure. Let's, let's do one more. Perfect. Chester, you have the floor. Yeah, thanks. Uh, appreciate you, Nick. Uh, I've been following your podcast for a long time. And I uh, just wanted to make a comment really more uh, than a question regarding uh, institutional investment and the, the ESG narrative that's going on. I work for an environmental firm and, you know, a lot of capital investment um, and choices regarding financial vehicles um, and capital allocation are, are tied up with these ESG um, approval councils. And Bitcoin, you know, whether we like it or not, is still not over this, uh, you know, environmental narrative that, um, you know, it's not good for the environment. And so companies are really uh, scrutinizing their investments. Um, and, and some of them are just literally not allowed to invest in Bitcoin just yet or allowed, allowed to diversify a portion of their balance sheet to Bitcoin. So uh, that's going to be a thing until, um, until you know, now, fortunately, with the China situation, you know, we got a lot of um, minor diversification here in the United States. A lot of it's in Texas and uh, a lot of it's being invested in nuclear and on-prem at um, nuclear facilities and, and hydro facilities and renewables. So we do um, natural, ga natural gas flaring. So, like, for example, if you flare natural gas, you can um, offset some of your carbon or methane emissions by uh, combusting that. And so that's something, some kind of consulting we're trying to get into. And, um, but yeah, the ESG narrative is a big deal for, um, a lot of the capital that's, uh, slushing around out there. Yeah. Chester, you brought up a really good point. I think that, uh, you know, one thing, there's been a couple of things that have gone to my mind around this cause I'm very much interested, not so much, uh, it's not that I'm negative on like the uh, carbon credit market or anything in that regard, but any companies like looking to have more of a green impact or support like innovative technologies like nuclear, uh, solar, wind, I'm all for that. Actually, at a crypto, my, my biggest focus is in like the next generation of transformation for energy. And I think that there is a big cusp of innovation right now. We're going through really uh, a fancy government term called structural readjustments, which is you know, when you have a, a catalyst moment like we had over the past year for some major changes and creation of money, uh, you see uh, governments pushing dramatic innovation to meet certain types. And I think the dealing with the climate and stuff is one of them. So, you know, actually, you brought up a good point about Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, I hold a relatively like neutral view. I think that crypto has progressively gotten more green over time, but at the same time, I'm not going to um, I'm not going to be uh, ignorant of the fact that like crypto still, whether it's you know whether it's natural gas or oil or um, you know other forms of, of energy in this case, it's usually going to be on, on the grid. It's it'll likely be natural gas in the U.S. Uh, it's well, another point on the on the on the just cost or the or the effective use of energy, and, and Michael Saylor right. talks about this all the time when he's saying like. Well, do we really count the cost of, of in energy of what it costs to secure the Visa network or the PayPal network or all these other networks, right. you know, and, and like, what is the net benefit to society? Like we're, we're willing to, you know, to spend the energy to dry our clothes, but we're not willing to spend the energy to secure an, you know decentralized financial network. Yeah. You know? And it's just like, you know, it's kind of so ridiculous when you think, think about it, but um, you know, regardless, the narrative is out there, and I think it is changing. You know, I'd be interested to see here 
you know, um, in the United States, if, if in the next couple of years, um, you know, cities and, and states are able to uh, introduce base, base load new or, or, or new forms of generation, uh, expanded renewables uh, with storage and, and things like that, and use Bitcoin as kind of a buyer of last resort for uh, Bitcoin mining. You know, data yeah. centers, you know, who have pre-purchase agreements for certain rates of electricity are, are looking to expand by using Bitcoin mining to, uh, um, you know, to, to use power that maybe they already paid for that they're not using, burst capacity, things like that. And um, so there's like grid level things that allow um, states and uh, local governments to over-engineer their infrastructure um, and then not just be wasting the money because they have a buyer of last resort. So that's something that's interesting. Um, Compass Mining's doing some of that, and there's some other uh, companies that are doing that where they're getting these base-level agreements at data centers and things like that. So, Yeah, no, no, it's a great company. And you're right, the, the one thing, Chester, that's so beneficial is that this could start to stabilize energy markets. And as you mentioned, yeah. make sure that like at least energy is not going to waste by any degree. Exactly. Um, the biggest thing overall, like to, to your point though, I know this might sound a little bit far fetched, and I, I'm I'm keen to kind of hear like any thoughts on it and stuff. I'm curious if in the future, you know, there's all these new ESG based products where you're either investing in like renewable based companies or companies that have a high uh, ESG score, where they're buying like carbon credits to offset their emissions and it, what what have you, right? There's all these different vehicles being created. I'm really interested. There's going to be uh, some way where you can invest either in one of two things, either crypto directly or uh, into like, for example, a basket of like mining companies or crypto related companies that completely offset their their carbon in this case, like or at least make sure that they they have some kind of environmental efforts tied to it. And I think that that might be the sweet spot that, to be honest, I haven't found anything that's done that. I would be really interested in like an ETF, um, like ETF creator, like general, like exchange traded product creator to be able to make something like that. So no, that's interesting. You gave me a kind of an idea there. I'd love to explore that and see if that's possible. Um, the one thing I'll say is outside of like um, Ethereum or sorry, outside of Bitcoin, uh, I, I'm not 100% confident that we'll ever see a shift from proof of work. And a lot of people would argue that that's like really good. Some people would say, oh, we don't need proof of work. Generally speaking, I think that you're going to see a competition as systems that are going to proof of stake. But as as you know, Chester, that that can start to like again, I guess compared to proof of work, some people argue on the decentralization side of things. But um, well, that's gonna that'll be an interesting change as well. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I think you know, Ethereum's make the transition. You have Cardano and so many of these other blockchains that are all proof of stake, and it, I think it makes sense. But if you're looking for a um, Chester, no, sorry uh, to interrupt. Before yeah. before you finish, yeah. we're getting close to the end, so uh, just oh, sure. uh, deliver your last thoughts, and then we'll move on to the end. Okay, sure. Yeah, I was just going to say, as a base layer, I think that pr- proof of work uh, is still essential for Bitcoin. You know, even if uh, you have wrapped Bitcoin in, in those proof that proof of stake right, networks, right. I, I definitely agree that it's uh, important in that way. Yeah, no, I think overall having one solid proof of work network uh, and other chains pulling off of it could be ex- incredibly valuable. That's something I've seen some layer ones try to do where, you know, there's I think there's Nervos, which has like the central knowledge base or CKB. And you can build as side chains or other layers that pull from that central knowledge base. So I think that Bitcoin, uh, with all the use cases people have used for Bitcoin hashes to sign for things or verify information, um, and even just as well transactions. I, the biggest thing for me that I'm really interested in whether or not there's scaling solutions, 
I'm very curious to see how Bitcoin will scale long term and like how how the to increase the value of that hash because if you can do that, then again you stop getting people who are coming up with that argument of like oh like you know you know like hey like Bitcoin does so much for only these transactions and stuff and I think Lightning and a couple other solutions will get us there and use the rise you mentioned wrap Bitcoin and stuff as well so no really Chester great great points man and it's cool to hear that from someone who you know has actually worked uh, with a lot of ESGs and stuff so well well done man that's very cool. Perfect. Thanks so much, Chester. Um, Hope, did you want to say anything else before we uh, ended this? Yeah. So thank you guys all for joining the Twitter space. I believe we'll have another one uh, next Friday. We try to have one every Friday. Um, next Wednesday, we are actually going to be having a webinar on hyperinflation. Uh, Nick will be hosting that uh, with myself. And at the end, we'll be doing a live Q&A uh, just like we usually do for webinars. So the registration link, I just sent it out in Intercom. Uh, I believe Eugene will share it on Twitter as well so you guys can register for the event. Um, yeah, it's going to be a good time. I think it's at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Wednesday, the 17th of November. So make sure you register for that. Love to see you guys there. Uh, if you have any other questions that you didn't get to ask during the Q&A here, uh, feel free to message our in-app support chat and we can put that on the list of topics to cover in a future uh, Twitter space or webinar um, or blog or whatever type piece of content that we uh, will be, be producing. Um, or you, you can reach us in our in the app. So um, in the profile tab, you can contact support within the app with our in-app support. Uh, or you can message us on our website at digifox.finance. And you can reach us both ways. Um, pretty soon, as you guys know, we are launching a feature called Get Paid in Crypto, which is kind of what sparked this conversation today. Um, we have a wait list out for it right now. If you go to your Digifox app, there's a banner that you can tap and register for the wait list. If you refer your friends, you can bump yourself up in the queue and be uh, more uh, further along in the front of the line to receive the feature and test it out. So, and then we got some really exciting stuff kind of surrounding the waitlist and the the feature before it launches that we're gonna be releasing and announcing very, very soon. So stay tuned for that. Um, can't say anything more than that, but yeah, thanks for you guys for joining and have a wonderful rest of your weekend. We will see you guys in the next Twitter space slash webinar. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Hope. And Nick, did you have any last thoughts before we end it off? No, no, no feedback at all, guys, or any, any remarks. The one thing I was going to say, if you have any feedback on the Twitter space, feel free to DM us, on, on as, as Hope mentioned, on any ideas you want to see and on any ways that we can improve it as well. We're always open to any feedback. But, guys, great conversation. Um, I appreciate you all as always giving me this, the, the floor for a little bit to talk about my thoughts and then getting to have some nice uh, connection. Outside of that as well, um, thank you guys again just for the really valuable thoughts. It was so nice to have you guys here and, and just making the time to join the space. So thank you. And if you guys want to listen into this or happen to miss some of it, we'll have it up on Anchor um, through Spotify later on. So if you guys uh, want to listen to it, we'll share it here on uh, the Twitter page. So make sure if you haven't already to follow us and hit the bell icon to get notified when we put out some tweets. So thank you guys for joining us and we'll see you all in the next one. Thanks so much, everyone.